they're going to pay her to, to make care of, you know, take care of her vehicle. They're going to fix her or, or replace her car and make her whole again because that's what she pays for. And then they're going to turn around and do what they call subrogation and come after you to get their money back. And if you don't have it in your savings, if you don't have it in your investment account, they're going to come after your home equity. And if you don't have it there, they're going to garnish your wages. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Fatherly Figure Podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Golden II, and like always, I appreciate you for hitting play on this podcast. If you feeling like passing on a blessing, do me a favor and like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Tell your family and friends that they can find this show on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, and finally, the Apple Podcast out. I know it's been a minute, like everyone, we had to get through the holidays. Um, we got a chance to uh, take my daughter to Arkansas to meet my side of the family. Uh, not only my father, uh, which she has met multiple times, but she also got a chance to meet my mom's side of the family in Monticello, Arkansas. So that was really cool to get her down there to take a lot of pictures and, you know, give everybody opportunity to meet Miss Kendall. Uh, for Christmas, we stayed here in Nashville, and we also got a chance for her to meet my dad's godparents, which I thought was really cool and very special. Uh, they've now seen three generations of Goldens. So shout out to Mama and Daddy Holmes for keeping that promise all these years. And so, uh, but yeah, it was a really great and a little bit of the delay with me doing some episodes is uh, I started a website to house some of my projects that I'm a part of that I've been doing. Um, all you all know that I do video for a living. And so I've um, been blessed with the opportunities to do more projects outside of work. And so, yeah, you can check out some of my projects at Daryl2Golden.com. That's D-A-2-R-S-Y-L, the number two golden.com so yeah like i said uh just kind of focusing on that um just trying to get through you know trying to figure out how to build a website and trying to do a lot of stuff on my own i haven't fully put the podcast on back burner but you know sometimes when it's a passion project you just kind of get to it when you can so but anyway this episode we're going to talk about insurance a bit um i met this gentleman morris goggins jr uh, the guest on this episode through the Black Chamber of Commerce of Nashville. Uh, every Friday, they host what's called Elite Exchange. It's a meetup networking deal they do every Friday for an hour. Uh, folks with different businesses come together, uh, pitch their businesses, and find leads for their businesses. So uh, I met Boris through that. And like I said, we got to talking and he got to asking me about my insurance and made me fully aware of some things that I was not uh, accustomed to knowing or anything like that. So anyway, uh, he gave me some valuable information and I felt like, hey, man, I really want you on the podcast. Not only that, uh, he is a father and he is a husband. So he um, got it, gave us 
So really good insight on what it's like for him to play those two roles. So um, we're going to jump into the episode and you guys are listening to the Fatherly Figure podcast. Your agency is out of Smyrna, Tennessee, and you live in Murfreesboro. That's right. So uh, my office is located in Smyrna, Tennessee. Um, I opened up my agency, gosh, almost a year ago. It'll be one year February 1st, which is hard to believe. Wow. But um, but I, prior to that, I worked for Allstate for nine years as the agency recruiter. So I spent a lot of time recruiting people to become agents. And finally, I got to the point where I was like, well, I've, I've helped enough people <laughs> get their own businesses started. Maybe I need to look into this yeah. myself. So I had a long chat with my wife and a long chat with myself and a long chat with the man upstairs and... I just decided yeah. to get my licenses and hang my shingle, man. And here we are almost a year later. Um, I have a, a great team. You know, they do the heavy lifting. I have two, two ladies in my office, um, Kayla and Vanessa, and they are just phenomenal. I can't really say enough about what they do. Uh, definitely couldn't run this business without them. So it's not just me. I, I, I have a lot of help, and I have help from the Allstate Regional Office as well. So, um, yeah. Okay. Well, how, how did you even get started in, uh, in, in the insurance industry? Um, yeah, good question. So my background is mostly in human resources. So it okay. wasn't even in uh, necessarily sales or insurance per se. I started out my career... A uh, long time ago, back in the, the mid-90s, as a recruiter, um, I started my career as a technical recruiter for an IT staffing firm, and that led to uh, a job as a corporate recruiter with a healthcare company, recruiting mostly IT people for their IT department because of my background. But that led to clinical recruiting, doing nurse recruiting for call centers, and um, that ultimately led to an executive uh, nurse or chief nursing officer recruiting job with HCA. And from there, I decided to do some consulting as a recruiter. And I spent some time as sort of an independent recruiting consultant doing work for companies like Microsoft, um, Wells Fargo, Wachovia Bank, Blue Cross Blue Shield, um, just a number of, of companies and did a, a short stint with a company called Expedia, which you might have heard of as right. a, a recruiting team manager for them. And that was right around the time when the economy was, was crashing around 2008. Uh, and their business just kind of fell off a cliff. So I ended up going back to the healthcare company I was working with before and there just wasn't enough work there to keep me on. And, and I had a friend from college who worked for Allstate. And it just so happened that they needed a recruiter for agency recruiting. And I set up an interview, got the job. And, you know, I was in that recruiting role for nine years until I opened up my own agency. And that's basically how I got to where I am today. 
Oh wow, okay. Um, so how much was an adjustment? I mean, I guess you learned it. Uh, the insurance industry, which you, I guess you said you kind of have more of a human resource background. Like, was that just an easy transition, or is this something that you just have to kind of learn on the fly, or did it take a while? Yeah, no, good. Another good question. I I didn't know anything about the sales side of the business. Now, a lot of the because I always yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I say I always say I'm not a salesman. I I just <laughs> if you give me a chance, you tell me, hey, I need you to sell these tickets. If somebody tell me no, I'm like, all right, <laughs> on to the next right. person. <laughs> right, right. Well, the truth is, you know, I, as a recruiter, I do a lot of sales anyway. Um, recruiting mm-hmm. is sales. It's you're you're selling an opportunity. So there was there were a lot of transferable skills involved. So that piece, you know, talking to people, talking to people that you've never spoken to, developing a rapport quickly with people, cold calling people, making a lot of phone calls, um, engaging with people, doing a lot of networking events, all of that stuff was transferable to what I do. I think the biggest adjustment for me was transitioning from, not from a recruiter to a salesperson, but from a corporate employee to an entrepreneur, that that was much mm-hmm. more of a, a, a challenging transition than than the other. Because you know, working for an employer and having a steady paycheck every two weeks that you can count on, and you got your four hundred one k, you know, all of that is you know, and then going from that to based. Basically, you only eat what you kill and drag home. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's a huge adjustment, not just for me, but for my family, too. So, um, you know, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, and I've always had, you know, I've dabbled in it, but never at this level. And so really putting together a team and, you know, figuring out how to drive business and manage all of it. That was much more of a challenge than than the, the, the skill set itself. Okay, with you having to uh, sell yourself, sell your product, and sell your services, um, how much of that, that that comes with being pretty much an extro, extrovert? Like, uh, was that did that come natural for you, or do you consider yourself uh, introvert and you had to kind of built that confidence to go out and cold call, make cold calls, walk up to people, introduce yourself and stuff like that. Right. So, you know, the funny thing about that, Daryl is I am an extreme introvert. I am, Mm -hmm. I am not an extrovert at all. Uh, I am, I've never been the, you know, look at me, 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 you know, center of attention kind of, you know, take up space in the room kind of person. I, I am very much a um, INTP on the Myers-Briggs <laughs> personality scale. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I was the quiet, you know, kid that played with Legos and was very into technical things. And that's probably what drew me to the IT recruiting piece because I, I, at one point in my time, I thought – in my uh, career, I thought I was going to go into IT. And, I, you know, looking back on it, I probably should have explored that more. But I was very much... Shouldn't we Yeah, all? yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was very much a, um, an analytical uh, 
you know, technical introvert. And mm -hmm. I didn't really develop the interpersonal skills with engaging with people until I became a recruiter. I mean, I've always been a people person, right? but I've never been the type of person that ran with a lot of people and, and you know, had a lot of friends at, all at once. I was always, you know, I had one or two best friends at a time throughout my life. And, you know, I kept my circle pretty small. And mm -hmm. I, can, I can interact with larger groups, but basically what, what I've been able to do is learn how to get uncomfortable to accomplish what I need to accomplish. And, but that is something that I have had to really work on through the years. Mm -hmm. And being a recruiter really helped with that, but that has served me well in what I do today in terms of networking with people. I met you through a networking <laughs> event. You're right. Yeah. And, <laughs> yes, yeah right. <laughs> but that's not naturally something that I I, I seek out. And right. um so you know the the funny thing about introverts versus extroverts is people think that extroverts are um you know just you know these over the top you know loud people or just very gregarious and introverts are very timid and shy right, right. and don't talk to people but the the real meaning behind those those qualities is an introvert is someone who draws energy from inside and and they're they're more guided by their internal thoughts and feelings whereas an extrovert draws energy from other people and the environment around them so from that standpoint i am a introvert I'm internally motivated I don't need a lot of people around me to to drive me or to, to you know um, I guess generate energy so right so yeah this is definitely a skill set that I had to acquire uh. okay <laughs> yeah well I always tell people um, my grandfather my late grandfather my maternal great ah, my maternal great Late, ah, late grandfather. You know, I know what you're saying. You know, my mom's dad. Yeah, yeah, your mom's dad. <laughs> anyway, uh, one of the things he used to he told me was he said nobody enjoys my company more than me. So yeah, <laughs> I like that. that's kind of um, <laughs> that's kind of a mantra I've always uh, kind of lived by. Yeah. <laughs> so I definitely uh, have, share the same sentiments sometimes. Which is funny. A lot of people uh, when they first meet me. They feel, you know, I, I'm a, I could be, I am a people person, I guess, but I much rather prefer to just be to myself. Uh, like I said, I'm always in my own little head, and mm -hmm. but um, I guess it's just I always say I'm an ambivert or an outward introvert. Mm -hmm. um, I say if I, you know, need to, then I can, you know, have no problem talking in front of a crowd and this and the third. But like I say it, uh, I if I don't have to, like I said, I definitely prefer to, you know, as I say. You could be the candidate or the campaign manager, and give me the campaign manager every there time. There you go. Cause... I like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's me too. I mean, people who people who really really know me um, know that I'm a, a person, a people person. But the closest mm -hmm. people to me know that I'm I'm an introvert. I'm not the star of the show. You know, my, my wife is a true extrovert. You know, she is. I mean, she's been on television multiple times and. Enjoy. Oh, okay. She's been on a couple of game shows, and 
you know, other things, and she's really good in front of crowds and hey, people. You're just right behind her, rooting um, her on. Yeah, I am just <laughs> like you go, baby. Uh, I'm very happy being in the audience, just clapping. <laughs> you know, is that your final answer, baby? Yeah. <laughs> right. That's right. Uh, uh, so I also want to ask you, um, so with you get into the insurance game and kind of more so now, so I want to start talking about like answering some of the facts or the real facts, frequently asked questions. Um, what's been some of the most surprising things that you've learned about customers and, uh, or I don't know if you call them customers or clients, but what have been some of the most surprising things that you learned about them when it comes to, uh, you helping them meet their insurance needs? Oh my gosh. That is so interesting because before I got licensed and actually started working on the sales side, I didn't even really understand my own insurance. Okay. And so what is really shocking to me is just how little people know about their insurance. And I'm just talking about your car insurance, you know, not anything, right. you know, complicated. I'm talking about stuff that we all at least those of us who drive <laughs> you know have to have and most people don't understand how their insurance works i mean not even a little bit and we just pay the bill every month and we think because i pay that bill i'm covered when in actuality you're only covered up to the limits of liability that you pay for and mm-hmm. that is probably the most important aspect of your insurance insurance it's the coverages themselves so i'll give you an example in the state of tennessee uh where where we live this the minimum coverage that you need to have to be legal on the road is twenty five thousand per person fifty thousand per accident and then fifteen thousand for property damage and so what does that mean it means that if if you're in an accident that you caused and you have the state minimum coverage, the most your insurance company is going to pay out for the other guy's medical bills is $25,000 per person. Mm. 50000 for the for the whole accident. So if you injured more than one person and each of them had you know, 25000 in medical bills, if there's two people, you're covered. But if there's three, you're you're really in trouble. And then for the property damage, you only get fifteen thousand. The average vehicle in Middle Tennessee costs about thirty thousand dollars. So mm-hmm. if you were to rear end some old lady in a Mercedes G wagon <laughs> that costs a hundred thousand dollars, well, if you messed up her car if if you totaled her vehicle you know you're only going to get fifteen thousand dollars from your insurance company to fix or replace her car that's the door handle oh yeah that's just the uh, headlights (laughs) maybe (laughs) right or the taillight so you know if you if you don't get more than 15 who do you think has to pay that other eighty five thousand dollars you do right and that's where people get really messed up um, they spend the next 20 years paying off a silly car accident. And all of that could have been avoided if they had just had the right liability limit. And it really doesn't even cost that much more. We're talking about, you know, four or five, ten dollars a month more 
to like double or triple your liability coverage. So it's really important to understand that because it, it kind of carries over into other aspects of your life too. If, you, if you're a homeowner and you, you have equity in your home, in, in this area, homes are, are appreciating at a pretty rapid clip. So there are a lot of people that have home equity out there. Well, if you, you know, to hit that old lady and total her vehicle, they're going to find that 85000 from your savings account or from your, your home equity. They can go after that or your savings account. And, and so like stocks and other investments. Right. So it's really important that you are covered correctly. And um, so that's probably the most surprising thing that I have learned just since I became an Allstate agent. Now let me ask you this. Um, and this is just a just a genuine question that for me to know for myself. Mm-hmm. So say not everybody has savings, not everybody has assets and you know different stocks and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, would that fall under like where you know okay they don't have nothing? Can they possibly uh, use that legal st- uh, status to st- start garnishing people's wages? Oh, you hit you to- hit the nail right on the head. If you don't have any of that, that's exactly what they're going to do. And it's and see, here's the thing. It's not even going to be the old lady that comes after you. It's going to be her insurance company that comes after you. Because if she's driving a Mercedes G-Wagon, I guarantee you she has good insurance. And mm-hmm. they're going to pay her to, to make care of, you know, take care of her vehicle. They're going to fix her or, or replace her car and make her whole again because that's what she pays for. And then they're going to turn around and do what they call subrogation and come after you to get their money back. And if you don't have it in your savings, if you don't have it in your investment account, they're going to come after your home equity. And if you don't have it there, they're going to garnish your wages. And they are very, very good at coming after that money. And they can wait you out. They, they've got lawyers for days and they've got nothing but time. So it, it really is important to make sure that you have the best coverage that you can afford for your situation. Okay. Um, so that was one of the things, um, you know, I said after one day after the lead, lead exchange meeting, like I say you just kind of came up to me and, uh, and it also anyway, you offered it to anybody like, Hey, you know, if you guys have time, give me an opportunity to look over your policy if you have it. And so you uh, made me fully aware of, Hey, you probably want to increase your, um, limitations on your insurance, your increase your policies and stuff. And so uh, right then and there, I felt like, you know, you, you know, gave me that information, uh, not necessarily selling me, you know, on all state, uh, but more so just, Hey, you know, because this is important to me, let me help you. So I felt like, you know, you sold me on customer service. Um, how would you say, how valuable is that for you um, in your industry, but then not only in, in the insurance industry, but anybody that uh, has a business. Oh, 100%. Like that, that is exactly what my um, approach is. I, I don't really try to sell anything <laughs> to anyone. What okay. I really want to do is educate you about your coverage, whether you're my customer or not. Because I feel like if you're a better informed um customer, then you are going to make smarter choices for, for your family. And if you are 
um, the type of person that appreciates that kind of guidance, then maybe you'll become my customer, you know, because that's okay. what we do. Because the reality is you don't have to get insurance through an insurance agent. I mean, nowadays, you can just get on your phone and get a quote, you know, in, in 10 minutes or 15 minutes. But, right. but the issue with that is that the person on the other end of the phone in that call center does not care about you and whether or not you have the appropriate limits for your family or for your, yourself or your situation. They, it's transactional at that point, and they really just want the sale because they're not going to have to see you at the uh, the leads <laughs> exchange meeting. Really? They're not going to have to yeah, see right. you in the community. <laughs> they're not going to run into you at the grocery store or at sporting events or at school events and any of that. I, I am in the community. I'm always at something. I, my son has a varsity basketball game tonight. I go to a lot of networking events. I do a lot of um, home buying seminars and other community related uh, um, events. So I really genuinely want to help people understand how their insurance works because I know what kind of peace of mind I get from knowing that my family is covered. And so, yeah, it's extremely important to understand that. And customer service, that customer service piece is really important the more complicated or more sophisticated, I should say, your situation is. So you mentioned owning a business. Well, that just adds another layer of complication to the mix. And, you know, I'm, I'm a business owner myself. So I had to make sure that not only was I protected just from a regular auto insurance liability standpoint, but also to make sure that we had a, an umbrella policy, you know, with you know, a million dollars of extra coverage just in case something happened and someone tried to sue me and, and take me, you know, take my business away. So, you know, yeah, absolutely. It's important as a business owner to make sure that you have the right coverage. It's, you don't want to just call a 1-800 number and, and just take whatever they give you and, and think that you're covered because you may or may not be. Okay. Um, for folks who are out trying to, you know, look for new insurance or try to look into change their policy uh, and they get the opportunity to actually talk to someone as opposed to doing a 10 minute quote over the phone. Uh, what would you say uh, should be the go to question that they should be asking um, insurance agents? Right. So I think the most important thing that you want to ask an insurance agent is what what would you recommend for for someone in my, my situation? Gotcha, right, gotcha. just you know, and, and I, I always advise people to try to find your declaration page, which are the um, every every uh, insurance company sends you your what are called your declaration pages, and this, these are just the forms that lay out what your coverages are. Okay. Uh, what your liability limits are, what your, uh, what the different components are of your policy, I, I would advise you to share that with your insurance agent, so that, uh, well, not the your current, but if you're talking to a new one, so that they can compare apples to apples, and 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 see if what you have is is adequate. 
Um, I, a few months ago, I had a, a, a prospect, I should say, who sent over his declaration pages, and I found out that he had state minimum coverage. And I could tell just by looking at his declaration pages. Well, the, the problem with that is not only did he and his wife drive and have car, he had two young drivers in the house, both under the age of 21. And so his exposure was extremely high just because he's had, um, you know, because he has young drivers in the house who are more likely to have an accident. And they are going back to our old lady in the Mercedes G-Wagon example. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he has two young drivers that are likely to get into an accident like that. But at the same time, he's carrying the state minimum cover and and I have to tell you I, I have not had a customer yet call me and say hey Morris how much premium have I saved over the last six months <laughs> you know they, they'll call right. me and say hey I just <laughs> rear-ended an old Mercedes wagon am I covered for this so it's not how much you pay every month that matter as much as what kind of protection are you paying for so that's really what you want to talk to an insurance agent about. Is this enough coverage for what we have? Gotcha. I'm 29 years old now. I've been out of college a few years now. I think eight. But uh, like as I've gotten older, as I've kind of you know gotten into my career, the conversations with me and my friends from college have changed drastically. Mm -hmm. uh, no longer we talk about, hey, you know, what uh what old girl wearing today in class or you know uh or you know what meetings we got to go to for fraternity meetings yeah. or different things like that but you know now we're kind of talking about you know 401ks and life insurance and stuff like that and you know what works for best for them or you know how did they navigate through certain situations so um <clears throat> so just kind of talking about life insurance a little bit uh first off are you are you in position to say whether or not you know you uh, prefer or suggest you know term life versus whole life uh, life insurance policies. That is the sixty four thousand dollar question, isn't it? And and that <laughs> that comes up a lot. Um, my my personal opinion is that both both term and whole have different purposes. Mm -hmm. I, I think that term is good if you just if you don't have anything in place. And you just need to have something there to protect you the worst case scenario. Uh, but I think ultimately everyone should be trying to get to some kind of whole or universal life policy. And, and, okay. and just to kind of break down the, the difference without going too deep into it, um, I just want you to know the difference between the two. So when we talk about term life, we're really just talking about insurance for a term, uh, you know, a period of time, right? It could be a 20-year period. It could be a 30-year period. It could be a 40-year period. But it's only going to be enforced for a certain term limit, right? Whereas with whole mm -hmm. life, it actually is enforced for your whole life. And that's why we call it whole life insurance gotcha. and but the difference is 
whole life actually accumulates cash value along the way. So at the end of, you know, well, not at the end, but, you know, later on in your life, you have actually accumulated cash into this whole life policy that belongs to you. So you can use that money if you don't die <laughs> or, you know, the worst doesn't happen to you. You have this asset now that you can leverage for your retirement. You can use it for um, home improvements. You can use it for traveling. You can use it for college tuition for your kids. There, there are many, many benefits to having a whole life policy. The, the, um, the reason why a lot of people don't get them is because they are more expensive in terms policy right mm -hmm. so and this is just morris talking this is not all state talking but i believe that whole life policies are good for people who are not good at saving money okay because Makes because sense. you can kill two birds with one stone right you can protect you and your family but you're also setting cash aside you're being forced to set cash aside throughout you know your working life and that is a huge discovery for me when i started learning about insurance and wealthy people know all too well um, how powerful whole life policies are because you, you i don't know if you knew this or not but you can also borrow against whole life policies right mm -hmm. and so if you were going to try to get into real estate or start a business or make again home improvements or you just had an emergency you can borrow against those policies and you're borrowing from yourself so let's say you had a, a whole life policy in place and you needed to borrow ten thousand dollars to i don't know get uh, you know, something done on, home yeah, home improvement or something. Well, yeah. all that's going to happen is you're going to have to pay that back at your own pay. You can pay yourself back however you want. Pay it. You, you can set your you, terms. You can set your own terms, I mean, and if you, or you yeah. could just not pay it. <laughs> and but right. what will happen is at the end of um, well, when you get older at the maturation of the policy. Or if, let's say, there was a uh, an event that required payout, that $10,000 would just be taken away from the, the payout amount. So, okay. if, like, let's say you passed away, um, your, your, your survivors would receive the payout from that life insurance policy minus the $10,000 that you borrowed. So that's basically how that worked. Got you. Um... So would you, and like I said, you know, there's so many folks, uh, Dave Ramsey, uh, all these different, you know, financial advisors, and, you know, they give their various opinions on it. But let me ask you this. Would you suggest uh, somebody look into doing both at some point or, I mean, or I mean, ultimately come down to, you know, do what's best for you and your family. But if, you know, somebody is <clears throat> in position or capable of doing both would you suggest that yeah i would and i do personally i i do okay. um, i have both and i know several other people 
especially in the insurance business, who have both. Uh, and I, I, I know Dave. I, I've followed Dave for a very long time. I've even gone through right. the financial peace class, and <laughs> I know, course, yeah, yeah, uh, I know exactly <laughs> what his philosophy is around whole life. He, he's not a fan. Um, mm-hmm. and, but he's also not a fan of credit cards, which, you know, I, I actually just, I have some philosophical differences with Dave on those two particular pieces. I love everything else that he says. I love, I think his message is great around not, you know, living beyond your means and saving money mm-hmm. and having a plan and communicating and understanding who is the spender, who is the saver or the planner. And, I, I think all of that is a great message, but I, I believe that in the world that we live in today, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a pragmatist. I, I believe that some people right. are just not good at saving. They just aren't. I'm not that good mm-hmm. at saving. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm okay, but I think that some people are just not that good at it. And if you have a vehicle like whole life, it could help you, um, like I said earlier, keep, kill two two birds with one stone, and um, you know. And if you want to talk about credit, you know, I, I I believe that in the world that we live in today, you you need to have some kind of credit to, to function. I'm not an advocate right. of you know using credit cards to to buy stuff that you don't need. That's not what I'm saying. But you do need to be educated about how credit works. You need to understand that your yeah. utilization needs to be kept below 30%. 10% is ideal um, because that accounts for, I think, 30 to 35% of your FICO. And if you don't have any credit out there, that's a huge um, piece of what drives your FICO score, which determines how uh, how much you can borrow for your, your mortgage. It, it determines... A lot of people don't realize this. It your your credit score determines how much you pay for insurance. It's it's a factor. Um, a lot of people don't realize you actually have an insurance score. The same way that you have a FICO score, insurance companies can review your insurance score, and it's on a scale of one to fifty. The higher oh, yeah, wow. the higher the score, the 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 more you're gonna pay because you seem to be a riskier customer, and a big part of how that score gets calculated is based on credit history. So that's why I, I just believe that knowing your credit, having some credit and using it responsibly can, can be helpful, like very helpful to you. And we can talk about, you know, using credit to for investments and, and all of that thing. But I, I don't think that's why you have me here. You probably would need to get somebody else on, <laughs> on the call for, for that. But um, I, let's just say this credit plays a huge role in many different aspects of your life. Whole life insurance is a, a great means to save and protect your family at the same time. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Okay. And then also, um, to the point that, um, um, oh Lord, I forgot my train of thought. Um. Yeah, anyway, we'll, I'll edit this out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Uh, 
Yeah. So, um, just kind of wrap up. Um, oh, can I can I say one see. other thing about insurance? Yeah. Yeah. Um, homeowners insurance. So the the main thing I want you to to know about that, or I want your your listeners to know about homeowners insurance, is just make sure that you have enough personal property coverage on your policy. And, and the best way to think about that is it, just pretend like you were strong enough to pick up your entire house, right, in your hands. You, you're the Incredible Hulk, and you can pick up the whole house. Flip that house over and shake it. Everything that falls out on the ground is considered your personal property. Okay, so everything that is detached mm-hmm. from the structure. And you need to think about how much would it cost to replace all of that stuff if this place burned down or if somebody came in and stole all is it ten thousand dollars is it thirty thousand dollars three hundred thousand dollars or a hundred thousand so you need to think about how much would all of my stuff cost if i needed to replace and that is what your personal property coverage is for on your homeowner's policy. So when you're looking at your your homeowner's policy, look at, try to find personal property and look at that number. And if that is not enough to replace all of your stuff, you need to call your agent and say, hey, we need to increase that personal property coverage or decrease. And anytime you get... Now, let me also say this. What's left in your hands after you shake the house is what we refer to as the dwelling itself, all right? And so that would be your dwelling coverage. And we need to make sure that there's enough dwelling coverage on the policy to rebuild your house uh, if it burned to the ground or if there was a really bad storm and the home was a total loss. So those are the two main things that you want to look at, your dwelling coverage and your personal property coverage we can also mention family liability which is it protects you if someone were to slip and fall on your property and try to Mm -hmm. sue you but those that dwelling coverage and personal property coverage are are really important and those those are easy things for you as a consumer to, to look at your policy and keep track of anytime you make improvements to your home if you get new hardwood floors or granite countertops or new light fixtures or a fancy new gate or fence or any any kind of major improvements make sure that your insurance agent or company knows that you've done that so that that dwelling coverage can be adjusted because if if your home were to burn down you want to make sure that there's enough you're going to get a large enough check from the insurance company to rebuild everything as it was In the insurance world, there is a term called indemnity. And what that means is the insurance company is there to put things back to exactly how they were before the loss. It's not for you to gain and it's not for you to, you know, not for us to um, pay you. It's to try to get things as close to the way they were before you experience the loss. And so that's why you want to make those adjustments along the way. Um, and then, I'm sorry, one more thing about insurance. No, you're good. Yeah, yeah. Don't, 
don't file unnecessary claims. And this is why okay. it's really good to have an agent because if something were to happen, if you had a, um, a small fender bender or if the kids scraped your car, moving their bike out of the garage, or if, uh, I don't know, a tree branch fell down, before you call your claims department, call your agent. And if you don't have an agent, you're at a disadvantage because as soon as you call the claims department, even if you're calling just to find out if you, you should file a claim, they automatically file a claim. Oh, wow. And this is huge. This that. is huge because even if the insurance company doesn't pay anything out, even if they end up not paying anything out, you still now have a claim on your record, which could result in a surcharge in your insurance bill. And to call your agent first. Yeah, absolutely. And if you have too many claims, even if it's a zero payout claim, you might get dropped from your insurance company. So, because most mm. insurance companies have a certain number of claims that you can file before they, they drop you. And so that is why it's good to have an agent. For, for all of these things that I'm talking about today, this is why it's good to have someone that you can call or an office that you can call and say, hey, um, you know, my sister kind of backed into my car. Should I file a claim on this? Well, before we do that, let's get someone out there to look at the, the vehicle. Or if the mm -hmm. refrigerator came disconnected from the water line, water kind of shot all over the floor, should I file a claim on, on something like that? Well, let's get a disaster um, repair company out there to do an estimate before we actually file a claim. Because if the damage is only $500 and you have a $500 deductible, why would you pay $500 only to get $500 right. from your insurance company? But even if it was $1,000 worth of damage, do you really wanna pay a $500 deductible just to get $1,000 from your, your right. company when all you had to do was come up with another $500 to fix right. the damage and not have the claim on your record. So what about like, because this has been a situation that has happened to my wife and I, uh, you know, somebody has hit her and, you know, uh, of course, it's that person's, it was that, that person's fault. Um, but I guess it was just like, just not knowing. It was like, well, maybe we should call our insurance. At the, at the end, they had told us, well, like, and we said like, hey, the police have uh, ticketed this person for hitting us. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they're like, well, no, you need to let their insurance deal with that. And you shouldn't be calling us. I don't know if that was a uh, dock between, you know, for us even calling. Well, it depends on who you called. If you called the claims okay. department, they automatically, they, they probably filed that okay, claim. Gotcha. If you called an agent, okay. they probably did not file that claim. Okay. okay. Right. So, yeah, if that happens, if it's the other person's fault, make sure make sure that you always get a police report. Uh, or you know an officer on the scene to 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 document what has happened. Mm -hmm. But if it's the other driver's fault and the police report even says that, let their insurance company do all the legwork. Don't you don't have to call your insurance company to file a claim or don't definitely don't call the claims department if it's the other guy's <laughs> fault. But if you have an agent, you may want to call your agent just to give them the heads up that hey, you have this incident. Yeah. It's the other person's fault, but they may be contacting 
your office or, or maybe the claims office. Um, yeah, let the other person, let their company um, reach out to you. All right. Well, uh, yeah, guys, we're, we're talking to Morris Goggins, uh, Allstate agent uh, out of Smyrna, Tennessee. This is the Father Figure Podcast. You are a father and a husband. Uh, kind of just talk about, uh, first, I want to ask you this question. Um, you and I talked before that, you know, I think you said you were more in your late 20s when you and your wife uh, had your first child. Um uh, where would you say uh, where were you at in that chapter in your life uh, where you do you feel like you were prepared for it and if so or if not how did you get prepared for that in her parenthood i was i, I was 30 yeah well i was 29 when i found right, out okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know we were having the baby but i had i was i turned 30 that year and um i i, I was ready um I, I was at a point in my life where I had a, a good job, you know, a decent job. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I wanted to start a family. And, you know, my wife and I had, you know, talked about that. And it was, it, for me, it was, it was a good time okay. just because I, having young, you know, having kids is a young person's game. <laughs> you know? So for those of you out there who, don't have kids you know you're in your 30s or you know mid 30s you know it's if you're if you're thinking about it <laughs> be careful what you're gonna say next recommendation, <laughs> yeah 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 my, my recommendation would be to go ahead and get that train rolling yesterday man man i'm just saying it's all that crawling on the floor and carrying all the the, the baby equipment around and you got to play and then they, they get into sports and stuff later so yeah i i felt like i was at a good age um you know i'm for me that was a good age and i think from a maturity standpoint i think i was ready um and so you you uh you have two boys correct Two boys. Okay. I have a seventeen-year-old and an and eleven-year-old. Okay, um, and so you know, you and I also had kind of just touched bases on you know that that time from having the first child to that second child, um, and then like I said, it's kind of doing it again because I mean, uh, so what is that like a you said seventeen, eleven, uh, mathematician, six, six years different, <laughs> okay, six and a half years, yeah. yeah. So I mean, you know, so that second time around, uh, I guess you're a little bit older. Like I said, and then you kind of forgot that whole feeling of, you know, not sleeping the first few months and stuff and mm. having doing that again. Yeah, I think the good Lord does that on purpose. <laughs> uh, so he gave you another he, blessing, as I call it. I think so, yeah. I think that uh, if, if you remember everything that you go through through baby boot camp, yeah, you, you probably would never do it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, that was the spread for us. We we there were some 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 years in between, and it was good because we had some time with our oldest son. Right. He had his you know time for it to just be about him, and I think that was good for him. Right. But having having another one was actually really good for us because it gave him a playmate. Mm-hmm later on and and we didn't have to always entertain oh that's true him. yeah yeah it's, you it's know a, hey, and so yeah that's true 
Okay, so there, yeah, so there, there's positive. an argument. Yeah, there's yeah, there's an argument for having more than one. <laughs> okay, yeah. um, so at that time when you guys um, had kids, finally had your first child, uh, how big of an adjustment was it for you and your wife? Oh gosh, I, that <laughs> it was a big adjustment. I mean, everything changes mm-hmm. when when you have a child. You know every. The way that you watch the news changes. Okay. The way yeah. that you pay attention yeah, to true. other drivers on the street changes. The way that you think about your finances mm-hmm. and your health. I used to travel a lot for my work. And um, as a matter of fact, when he, when our oldest was about to be born, I was traveling back and forth between Minneapolis and Minnesota. I was practically living up there Monday through Thursday, flying back every Saturday. And it was at that point where I realized I don't like to fly. (laughs) (laughs) And I had flown a million times. Like, this is dangerous. (laughs) Yeah, at that point, I was like, you know what? I just, I don't, now that I'm about to be a parent, I don't know how I feel about this flying (laughs) stuff. And, you know, things like that start to, to change your perspective on things like that. But I, I do say this, being a parent, and this is just for me, mm-hmm. again, this is Morris talking, I'm just representing me, um, being a parent is actually um, more natural and easier than even being a to me. And and the reason why I say that is because when your child is born, and I know you, you just right. recently had a daughter, you can relate to this, when your child is born, the love is just there. Mm-hmm. It's it's automatic. You don't have to work at it. It's just there. Whereas with a spouse or a life partner, you, you sort of have to choose to invite and accept this person into your life. Okay. And it's something that you have to work at continuously to, to keep fresh and to keep new. And mm. because you're two different people right, and you right. have, you know, two different perspectives and you're trying to join your lives together, but the child is a part of you. And for me, that just gives it a different, a different quality. Right. That's just me. Yeah. Um, so you've, uh, your, your kids are practically teenagers. Your son, your oldest son is a teenager and then your second son is about to go into that teenage age, uh, age gap. Um, so what are some of the things that they've that you've seen them do where it might have been a habit that you didn't particularly care for, but you really had to uh, you hesitate to say something because that's something you did as a kid or something that, you know, that they've learned from you. Uh, is there is there something that like, you know, those situations where you might say you had to catch yourself like, dang. <laughs> mm. Mm. I, you know, honestly, they're, my kids are way better than me. Okay. Um, but in, in every way they, they are, um, I was, I wasn't a terrible student, but I wasn't as good a student as they are. Okay. They are really both very good students that we just got report cards yesterday and they have straight A's. My oldest son is national honor society. Nice. My, um, younger son has scored, I think three times this the state average in math and is an excellent reader. He's reading well above his A level. So from a 
academic standpoint, they are very, very, they're a lot like their mom. <laughs> you know, mm. I was a good student in my younger days, but nowhere near as good as them. But as far as like bad habits, um, my older son eats a lot of junk food mm. and he probably gets that for, I'm, I, I'm definitely a snacker. Okay. I like, I like snacks and my younger son is, is a snacker too. He, he is like, he loves carbs. Okay. Like we, we struggle to try to get him to eat like real food. I'm like, of course you're hungry because all you ate today was, you know, uh, potato chips and macaroni and cheese. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, of course you're hungry still. So just little things like that. But for the most part, they're better than me, Daryl. Okay. Uh, um, we're this is uh, the Father Figure podcast. We're talking to Boris Goggins, all uh, state agent. Um, so with this being the Father Figure podcast, who was uh, a fatherly figure for you in your life coming up? I was blessed enough to have my biological father okay. in my life, um, Morris Goggins Senior, mm-hmm. and you know my father was. An amazing dad. He was a really good, you know. You know, I think, gosh, eighty percent of it, Daryl, is just being there, right? <laughs> and, and he he went above show that, up. but yeah, just show up. That's so. That's such a big. And I, I wish more fathers knew that. Yeah, that so much of it is just being there. Just just knowing that, just the child knowing that your father is there and that they care, um, even if you can't provide like you want to, even if you can't afford nice clothes and the fancy gifts and, and all of that. Um, you know, the, the most important thing is to be there. And one thing I can say about my father is he was there, mm-hmm. you know, for, for guidance, for discipline. He was, and I, I've told people before, a lot of the self-esteem, and value that I have for myself comes from my father because he used to tell me, you know, you can do, you can do whatever, you can do anything. Mm-hmm. You can be this. He was very proud of his children. He was a very proud man, period. But he was very proud of us, and we felt that. We felt the love that he had for us in our household. Mm. So yeah, uh, my dad. How how um, how does your upbringing? How does that affect your parenting style? Yeah. Um, well, I definitely try to, you know, carry that forward and, and pour into my kids the way that my dad poured into me. If there was a, um, something that I wish my dad was more of when I was younger, and probably, I wish he was more emotionally available mm-hmm. to me. Which I don't think is all that uncommon. Yeah, I'm probably say, more available than most. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, especially at the time. Most, yeah, yeah, most dads. But you know, I, I wish he was a little more. And so I try to be a little more emotionally available to my kids. Like they they know how I feel most of the time, and I try to get them to express how they feel. I think that that is a huge issue within the the um, you know within that father-son right. dynamic, mm-hmm. uh, which, is, again, it's not unique to me and my situation, but that's something that I'm very cognizant of when it comes to my kids. I want them to be able to express themselves. 
and, and express how they feel and, and know that it's okay for you to have feelings. Cause I didn't necessarily get that much. Uh, so I'm definitely more aware of that with them. Okay. <clears throat> um, have, because you're, you know, you're a person of color. Um, have you had that conversation with your sons about being black males in America? Have you had that tough conversation yet? Oh, of course. Right. Yeah. My younger son, I haven't, I haven't gone completely there with him yet, but it's about, it's almost time mm-hmm. for, for me to have that conversation. But I've definitely had that with my 17 year old and it's, and my parents had that conversation with me. I, I remember when I was in high school, I, I had a girlfriend who lived across town and I would go visit her and stay over there. We would, you know, this is back when kids watch videos. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm old. So, you know, video soul, right. uh-huh. you know, TV raps and all yeah. of that stuff. So, you know, we'd just be over there watching videos. But as soon as it got to be around 10 o'clock, you know, 10, 10, 30, my dad told me I needed to be heading home. Mm-hmm. And for the life of me, I just could not understand it. I was, you know, I was angry. I was like, why? I just thought he was blocking me. Yeah, you're blocking me. Don't be a hater. Don't be a hater. Right. (laughs) So I just couldn't understand it. And then finally he broke it down to me. He was like, look, you know, you're a young black male. You know, you're you're a teenager. And you're driving. And rarely does anything good happen to a black man out on the street after 10 o'clock at night. And I had never, of course, thought about that because I was a good kid. I did, I stayed out of trouble for the most part. I mean, I had friends that didn't, you know, that were in trouble, but I wasn't in trouble. And, you know, but looking back on it, I totally understand that. And so now I'm having that same battle with my oldest son who wants to stay out. He has a girlfriend and, you know, um, he wants to stay out and, can I just please yeah, yeah. Stay, you know and I just need him to understand that you know the rules are a little bit different for us right. and I just don't want you to get caught in a situation where you are mistaken for someone right. else mm-hmm. or that you're in a situation that you can't get out of especially here in middle Tennessee where you know the issue uh, that we're having is teen crime teen crime mm-hmm. oh and yeah they're definitely looking for teenagers yeah mm-hmm. I mean late at night and so I, I definitely have had that conversation with him and I'm I've started having that conversation with with my younger son and it, it's a tricky one because you know what do you say right you know don't 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 walk too fast mm-hmm. you know don't walk too slow right you know don't run <laughs> you know what Please do you don't run. exactly <laughs> yeah yeah don't run but you know you're kind of in a catch-22 but I have told them, you know, if you do get pulled over by the police, um, make sure that you express what you are doing. Hey, I'm yeah. about to reach over to get my license and registration. Uh, I do need to call my parents. Um, you know, I'm reaching for my cell phone. Don't make any sudden movements. Keep your hands where they can be seen. Yes, yeah, so we've had that whole conversation with our kids, which is 
it's kind of a sad commentary yeah. on our society, but it is necessary. <clears throat> and my parents had that com- conversation with me. Uh, now, is it uh, because, you know, here in 2020, you know, information is like constantly happening, like within seconds, if, you know, they can, your, your boys can find out what's going on in Missouri or, you know, California. Just uh, So they, they are aware um of what's going on in the world um does that help or does that uh change how you approach conversations about you know navigating through this space as a, a mm-hmm. black child it does to some degree mm-hmm. but we don't we try not to harp on things okay if if something happens out in the you know, <clears throat> the zeitgeist, you know, the whatever is happening out there, we do address it. Okay. We'll bring it up with our kids and say, hey, did you did you hear about that? You know, yeah. with these, like, for instance, with the active shooter mm-hmm. um, incidents that have happened or, you know, some some political stuff. We don't, you know, we don't go too deep into it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we, we do try to bring it up. Okay. And, and just... So I can check in. I just want to check your temperature. How are you feeling okay? Mm-hmm. Is this is this something that's bothering you? But what's interesting to me, Daryl, and and you, um, your your daughter is a lot younger, so you probably haven't gotten to this yet. But what I've noticed about young people today is that they are way better about filtering out unnecessary information. Okay. And, and it makes sense if you think about it, because we are all inundated with this information, like you said, from California mm-hmm. or from Missouri or from New York or this happened in Florida or whatever. And they don't really dwell on this stuff like, like we do, like mm-hmm. older people do. Um, they kind of move on. <clears throat> and I think that that is, you know, probably evolutionary mm-hmm. and probably with good reason because how else can you function right there's always something happening and if you stop to you know sort of internalize every single thing that happens you could never have forward progress in your life and i've noticed that the young people at least my son and their friends they um they they're they're much better at filtering out this stuff than we are See, I'm also, you know, in that same to- in that same sentence, sometimes worry about, you know, not only for myself, but you know, especially you know, younger kids, um, like kind of like as as an adult, I have kind of become desensitized to, you know, because like numb to, you know, there's another shooting. Okay, that you know, at, at this point, it's just kind of like it's a reoccurring thing. I remember. Um, rem- really remember feeling that when the Las Vegas shooting happened and you know when I when I think it happened right around the time when I was going to work and at the at the time they was like okay it's only nine and then I was like oh wow that's you know there's a shooting nine people you know affected all right then the number mm-hmm. kept climbing and then once it hit to like in the 20s that's when I was like oh no this is serious mm-hmm. and it, you mm-hmm. know and like you know and it, it sucks because like I said you know that that yeah that, just that, one that, no, yeah right exactly <laughs> that, that shouldn't have to get to you know double digits mm-hmm. for you know me to start feeling concerned 
uh, about it. And so, um, but that's, I mean, but that's, you know, really good. And I'm also, like I said, again, just kind of, you know, interested in how young, you know, folks are going to, you know, <clears throat> be dealing with this going moving forward. Because, like I said, it, it is something that, you know, we're all dealing with. Yeah, and I mean, and that's that's why we do that temperature check with them, just to make sure that they're not internalizing any of this stuff. See, I, I'm old enough to I'm I'm 47. I'll be mm-hmm. 48 this year. So I remember when there were only three channels on TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember when cable TV was you know something special right. that you had. I remember when TV signals signed off at night. I'm old enough to remember all of that stuff, mm-hmm. but I'm also old enough. To remember when you had the the nightly news that came on that would report on things that were happening at a national level, mm-hmm. and that was the only way that you really heard about right, right. happening in Seattle, Washington, mm-hmm. or Dallas, Texas, or New York or Chicago. If you didn't tune into the NBC nightly news or CBS mm-hmm. news or whatever, you didn't know about those things. You didn't hear about some you know, the shooting at a post office in Oklahoma mm-hmm. or Texas or what, you know, wherever. Yeah. And so I believe that that is really the crux of what, what is happening with our society. Um, back to your point about us being inundated with this 24 hour news cycle mm-hmm. and just multiple media outlets. I think that, we are all overstimulated. And <clears throat> I think that some of us uh, don't know how to cope with that. Right. And I, I think that that, you know, that probably goes down into the whole mental illness mm-hmm. topic, which I'm sure at some point you'll have somebody on your show mm-hmm. that. But um, <clears throat> so for me, I, I just think that with my kids, I have to make sure, I have to check in with them to make sure that they're okay. But what I've learned is that they actually are pretty good at managing. Okay. At least my children. I can only speak right, for, right. for my kids. But they are, they've been pretty good at managing this stuff. Now, maybe when they get older, they'll tell me, Dad, you know, it's really hard. You know, yeah. you know when... When we turn, whenever you turn on the news, my kids don't watch TV. Okay. I do know that. Yeah, <clears throat> and most kids don't. The way that kids today consume information is very, very different than um, when I or even oh, yeah, when my age group. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they they are they consume everything through their phone, um, maybe a tablet or a computer, yeah. but usually through their phone, and it's sort of this very um, insular, curated, um, yeah. you know, intake of, of They can of kind of control so a little bit. Like they can they control it. What they're bringing in. Yeah. They can control it, and they do. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that we as older um, understand just how well they do that. Right. Um, final question about, you know, let's say you being a father, but... Uh, how important is it for you to make sure that your boys see a, a, a really healthy, positive partnership between you and your wife? Very important. And we talk about it. It's something that I, 
try to demonstrate on a day-to-day basis. I mean, little things. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like opening the door for my wife or, you know, kissing her on the cheek and telling her I love you. Mm-hmm. Or every every day before I leave the house in the morning, we, we you know, say a quick family prayer and, you know, I'll say I love you or have a good day. Or um, I, I think it's really important to demonstrate what healthy love looks like between a man and a woman you know mm-hmm. um you know partners in general right, yes it's mm-hmm. it's just important to demonstrate what healthy love looks like because so many young men especially if we're talking about young black men mm-hmm. don't don't get to see that right right so it's it's extremely important and it's very top of mind for me and um yeah, I, I try to demonstrate that every day. All right. Uh, we are talking to Morris Goggins, uh, Allstate agent, insurance agent for Allstate. So now uh, I'm going to take this opportunity that for you to pass along a few gems that uh, is picking interest in your life. Uh, first off, uh, I want to kind of talk about music. Uh, what is your go-to uh, album, artist, uh, or is there anything that you're listening to currently that you feel like, you know, Hey, people should really check this out. Yeah, I am. I'm an old head. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably, maybe I'm older than a lot of your, your listeners are, but. Uh, you'd be surprised. Uh, I've, I've, I've had some, I'm like, wow, you listening to the show. Okay. Cool. Okay. okay. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I, I love old souls. So, okay. You know, Shaka Khan is probably favorite. All right. Um, just period. But as far as, you know, people, my contemporaries, Jill Scott, you know, Erica Badu, you know, those, I'm into that. I love that. Neo Neo Soul. Soul. Yeah, I grew up Um, on that. So I, I, yeah, I am there with you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they are good. But I'm I'm also a hip hop head. Because I am, you know, the golden era of hip hop is sort of my, that's my jam because I was, I was in my 20s, you know, teens and 20s mm-hmm. during the golden era of hip hop. So there was an explosion of talent during during that time period. And so, uh, yeah, when I mean, when it comes to hip hop, I'm, I'm Jay-Z, Biggie, Pac, Outkast, uh, all of them. So, you know? did, so <laughs> yeah. you, did, you, did you grow up in the South? I actually was born in Kentucky, but I moved around the country. Okay, and I, I lived lived in the Northeast. I lived in I went to high school in Massachusetts, but um, I went to college in, back in Kentucky. Okay, so well, I was curious, I, to, like, I, how, where you're, you know, you growing up, like, where did how did that affect your ears when it came to hip hop? Because especially you know coming up in the nineties, you know, you got the New York scene, and then you know the South was trying to make some noise with Outkast, UGK, all these things yeah. and stuff. Well, when I was really young, you know, that was when Run DMC and, you know, hip hop was sort of still trying to find itself. Okay. And I was, I actually lived out West at that time. I, I lived in Salt Lake City, Utah okay. in, in elementary school. And when I got to high school, my dad got a job in Massachusetts. And so we moved to Springfield, Massachusetts, which is um, only about two hours north of New York City. Oh, wow. Okay. So I was very close to the epicenter of New York hip hop in the late 80s and early 90s and ended up coming into coming to uh, college down south. Okay. So I, 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 I ended up getting a really 
broad view of hip hop, mm. you know, just from all areas, from West Coast to East Coast to down South. So I have an appreciation for all of it, really. Okay. But probably, you know, my most dominant um, preferences is East Coast, just because I, I know what in New York. Right. When hip hop was like really starting to show that it's a, a it was a legitimate art form, right. and there were just so many like really creative and and powerful acts coming out of New York, and it was everything was new, everything was fresh. You could not you had to be dope. You know, you couldn't be biting somebody else's style. And I thought that was fascinating. But I appreciated the, the down south stuff, too. Like when I got to college, I, I went to Western Kentucky University. And I, that's where I really was starting to get ex- more exposure to, to southern hip hop. Mm-hmm. And because the kids I went to college with would listen to a lot of UGK and, you know, um, 8-Ball and MJG. Goody Mob, yeah. and I was, and, and Outcast. I was, I, to me, it's all dope, and I think it all has uh, a, a place in the the, the um, pantheon mm-hmm. of, of hip hop. But um, I'm, I'm at heart, I'm a, you know, I'm a lyricist. Yeah, I'm appreciative of great lyricism. So you know, East Coast hip hop is really okay. My my. My pre- preference. Okay, cool. What about uh, any TV shows or movies that uh, that you you go to or something that you watched recently? <laughs> Man, I I, <laughs> I wish I got to watch more TV. I mean, we have all we have Netflix and Hulu oh, and course, Disney yeah. Plus, <laughs> and I don't get to watch any of it because I'm so busy. With, but there is one show that I have carved out some time for and that's the mandalorian okay. on disney okay. disney plus i am a huge star wars geek mm-hmm. i've seen them all I, even the new one and i liked it i okay. know some people you know have their thoughts and opinions <laughs> on stuff but i liked it i i like them all they're just it's all science fantasy to me so yeah. i just appreciate it well, okay, I was, to, like, we talked about that i had i had um Cause I've only seen the original, the episode four. I've only seen it in bits and pieces. So then, over the holidays, I actually sat down and watched it in its entirety. Actually, at first, I watched Han Solo, and I was okay. like, "Yo, this is like really good." And then so, yeah. uh, and I saw yeah. TNT had like a little marathon of literally all the Star Wars leading up to oh, this, wow. the latest one. So yeah, I, yeah, I DVR every yeah. one of them. So I'm like, okay. So almost slowly but surely, it's hard to sit down for two hours, two or three hours straight to watch a TV show nowadays. People's attention spans are not right. there, especially mine. So, right. uh, but yeah, but I, I watched episode four. So like I said, my, my goal is to try to get through the entire franchise. And uh, okay. But yeah, I started with Han Solo. Yeah, yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Good for you. So, um, yeah. So how many have you seen so far. Well, like I said, Han Solo in the uh, episode four, which the original one, um, New Hope. Yeah, it kind of, it kind of. Um, I mean, because I know the premise of Star Wars uh, for the most part, but like I said, everybody they, they, does. Yeah, but see, they they kind of threw me out when they, you know, like I said, hey, this is the prequel to the prequel, and then you know, uh-huh. which which affects the uh, <laughs> second sequence, <laughs> the sequel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just like, okay, so me kind of starting with Han Solo. Yeah, I've, I've read different articles saying like, okay. You may want to watch it this way in this order, or you can watch it in yes. the order they come out. But like I said, you just got to try to see what works for you. My my recommendation is to watch them in release order. 
just because when I, again I was watch them in what um, order release order okay release order so okay. like yeah the order that mm-hmm. they came out in. I I think that when I was um I guess I was probably six or seven maybe when the first one came out mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I was like right in the sweet spot for you know for that um for that genre i mean i i was probably the target it was the first of this market time. for yeah nobody had ever seen anything like that and it, it was it was really just a groundbreaking moment for cinema mm-hmm. but also for popular culture in america and <clears throat> the reason why i loved it so much is because of the storytelling mm-hmm. you know a lot of people just think oh it's some space movie about laser guns and spaceships and whatever but really that's not why i loved it i mean i loved all of that mm-hmm. of course but what i really 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 appreciated was storytelling itself and it's no different than the ancient stories of the myth the myths like the odyssey mm. hercules and right. um all these journey these these heroes journey stories and it was it's just a modern day version of that so that's what i think gets lost in the conversation um but i was at the appropriate age to to receive that and that's why star wars probably made such an impact on our culture because when it came out nobody had ever seen anything like that in that context right right. it was it was a space movie but it took place a long, long time ago. Well, that's weird because I thought space was all about the future. Right. <laughs> you know? I mean, we still ain't so, got flying cars. <laughs> right, right, right. Hey, but this this took place. Wait, it took place a long time ago. I, and and I, I tell people all the time, I like both Star Trek and Star Trek okay. because um, and the difference to me is Star Wars is a story about these people a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away where Star Trek is a story about us here in this galaxy, in the future. Hmm. And so they're both interesting from different vantage points for me, but I can geek out on that stuff all day. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. The Mandalorian is what I've I've been watching. That's really the only show that I'm I'm watching right now. So check it out on Disney Plus. Um, all right, and what is a book that you would suggest for uh, my listeners to check out? I wish I had more time to read, uh, uh, like know, everybody else. But, yeah, right. Sometimes yeah. I was like, how do y'all? I mean, like, how do you get time? You read five books in two months? How? Yeah, I don't. I don't get it. I don't know how people do that. My wife is like that. She can just breeze right through the books. My mom is like that too. But I did read a book recently called Dirt, Don't Hurt Me okay. by David Goggins, which um, there's no relation. I was a shameless plug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's actually like, my uncle. But, well, you know, the irony is my brother's name is David Goggins. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, but he is not a Navy SEAL like this David okay, Goggins. Gotcha. <laughs> and so David Goggins wrote this book called Don't Hurt Me. And it's really just about his journey. Um of, of becoming, you know, who he is today. Who, uh, and if you're not familiar with David, Google him. He'll, he'll, you'll find all kinds of interesting things about him. He is 
a United States Navy Marine, uh, I'm sorry, Navy SEAL, mm-hmm. uh, but he's also an ultra marathon runner. Uh, he's broken all kinds of world records. He's been on missions. He has been a trainer, a Navy SEAL boot camp trainer. He's done all these really, really cool things, but he also has you know, written this book that's just telling his story of how he came from a really dysfunctional home and was able to change his, his, his personality from this low-functioning, dysfunctional, out-of-shape, basically pitiful person into the strong confident, brave, powerful man you see today. And it's a really, really gripping story on how one can literally build the type of person that they want to become. And that's why I I like, I mean, obviously, because we have the same last name, (laughs) it resonated. All of that stuff resonated with me even more. And if you're for a good story or it's kind of a, I guess it's kind of a biography. Um, Don't hurt me by David Goggins is a great one. And now he is a Navy seal. So, you know, some salty language <laughs> in the book. And uh, even if you follow him on Instagram or, uh, you know, his social media, you definitely he'll, he'll drop a couple of four letter words. So if, <laughs> if you can get past that, you will probably take away a lot from his story and the book and he gives a lot of good uh good advice and and just i love his perspective on life and really the biggest takeaway for me is that he has this theory that each of us only operate at about 40 percent of what we're capable and once we start to get close to that 40 percent no matter what it is your fitness physical fitness finances, um, you know, work, whatever. Once we start getting close to that 40%, our mind starts to, to back us down. Mm. And, it started, and, and he uses military terms. He says, your brain has, the t- it always has the tactical advantage over because your brain knows what you're afraid of. Your brain knows what your doubts are. <clears throat> and your brain, when you've, given your all and when you have and so the trick is to get yourself to that 40 percent and then just do a little bit more <clears throat> and then the next time get yourself to that 40 percent and do a little bit and a little bit more and that's where the growth is the growth happens between that 40 percent and that new mile marker that you took so powerful book man don't hurt me david goggins all right, uh, cool, man. Well, I appreciate you for coming on the show and uh, talking with me and my listeners um, about yourself and just some general insurance stuff. Uh, real quickly, um, where can people find you, reach out to you if they have more questions about insurance or, or even if they want to just chat about Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, well, you know, I, I just, I, I am, I do have social media. You can, Go to Goggins Insurance on Instagram. Uh, we have a Facebook page, uh, Morris A. Goggins. Um, so just you know, look me up. Okay. Direct message me, and the office is. You know, I can give you the office number. 
615-534-2715. If you want to get a quote, (laughs) call the office and (laughs) my team will take care of you. Um, Yeah, that's probably the best way to get in touch. All right, cool. I'll uh, include that information into the description of this of the podcast episode and again appreciate you for coming on you guys you guys are listening to the fatherly figure podcast i'm your host daryl golden the second with my guest morris goggins jr uh insurance agent with Allstate here in middle tennessee uh thank you guys for listening and remember drink even more water and stretch and we'll catch you next time